Good morning, Church of the Canyons. <laughs> I tell you what, if you if you knew what I knew, <laughs> that would have you would be full. Uh, I, I know that you are, but if you would understand what I what I've been meditating on as we've been going through this, th- that ministered to my soul so greatly. Thank you so much, worship team. I really really appreciate it. As well as Bill, your passion for reading the scripture and for li- exhorting us and. Just love it. I love that you can pick your wife's voice out in a crowd of 120 people as well. It's just, it's glorious. Um, so this, this is the day that the Lord has made and let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm one of the elders here at Church of the Canyons. Um, and it occurred to me last night that um, this is probably one of the last times that um, I'm going to be up here for a very long time filling the pulpit because we will be likely gaining a senior pastor. So I'm just, I'm very thankful for that. And uh, thank you for not clapping. To, to. Um, if, you, if you turn into your Bibles to First Peter, um, what we're going to pick up where we left off. Uh, we will be reading uh, starting in verse 17. Uh, If you would please stand with me as well for the reading of God's word. Sorry, one second. Starting in verse 17. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, from the futile way of life inherited from your fathers, but with the precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he, ha- he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. You may be seated. So last week, Mark Madrid brought up a quote from A.W. Tozer that that read, what comes into mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a really powerful statement and worthy of profound consideration. Our text this morning opens with a seriously profound consideration of what comes into mind when you think of God. Peter writes in in the first part of verse 17, if you address as father, father, think on that word. We have some new fathers here. Probably hits them a little differently. Think of that title, what it means to have a heavenly father. I have a a story to tell you. When I was young, my family moved from the San Fernando Valley to a rural little city, Moorpark. You've probably been there. Um, It was was like a farmland when I moved there. It's always hard to move when you're, uh, when you're an adult, you, it's, you get to choose the place you go. When you're a kid, you kind of are at the whim of your parents. And so saying goodbye to friends is, is a mandatory thing. And, and, uh, and going to where you're going to go, not knowing who's going to be there. And um, that's, that's always uncomfortable and unsettling. And um, uh, you just kind of wait and see like what God provides. Well, when I moved, the fir- when, within the first few days, I encountered a young guy. He was a couple years younger than me. And uh, he was a nice guy, and we became friends, and, and uh, we uh, ended up hanging out pretty much every day and really enjoyed his companionship. And um, <laughs> I'll tell you something, though. There was something that really, really bothered me about him. 
he would never stop talking about his dad. Never. So we'd be playing basketball, and every rule had to agree with what his dad said. And we'd be playing, you know, trading baseball cards, and everything was valued such and such based on what his dad said. And, and uh, we'd be playing video games in my house. <laughs> and the rules of how, who gets the controller and who goes first was all dictated by what his dad said. And the kid, the kid really desired to be obedient to his dad and had an outward goal to shape his, his entire life around becoming his dad. We're, and we're all that way in a way. Um, we're, even if you don't know your dad, we're, we're likely and prone to become our dad. Ladies, you're likely and prone to become your mom. It's just how it works. And, uh, and I, I, can t- I can attest that I'm becoming my dad. <laughs> well, as you fill out your notes today, I want you to recognize within each point that there is a statement of fact about the child of God and a charge as well. This is addressed um, to those who have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, point one is that we, that, <clears throat> sorry, point one is obedient children obey. If you're taking notes, you can fill this out. Obedient children obey. Point two is released children release. And point three is expected children, guess what? Expect, Expect, right? To set the stage for our study today, I'd like you to look back to verse 14 through 16. And I'll read this for us. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Well, this sets up our first point in the outline. Obedient children obey. In verse 17a, we see a conditional statement to the person receiving this letter. This morning, that person's you and me. Again, it reads, if if you address as father. In this, we hear the called's call. Those who have been called out from darkness and into light to bless God by calling him father. That's our call. I think of the little bald eagle chicklet high up in the nest, featherless, defenseless, helpless, except for the protection of the nest that was prepared by the parent. It's warm, it's strong, stable, out of the reach of the enemy. What a great picture of God, the Father's love that protects us. As the eaglet turns their little head up to the sky and cries out for sustenance, we have that privilege as children of God. To, when, when tempted by Satan, Jesus referenced God's word in De- Deuteronomy 8.3. And he said, <clears throat> uh, it says, and he humbled you let, and let you go hungry and fed you with the manna which you did not know, nor did, you f- your, nor did your fathers know in order to make you understand that man shall not live on bread alone, but man shall live on everything that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. The called's call is Father. This is the one from whom all blessings flow. As the eaglets turn their heads to the sky and are fed from above, so are we to look to our Father in heaven for life. He ministers to us through his word. Peter tells us something very interesting about our Heavenly Father in 17b. He says, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. 
Peter moves from the called's call to the summoner's summons. It was by the great mercy of God the Father that the child of God was called to life. And what we see here is a revelation about God the Father. This is a mighty, this is mighty material. It's a clue into knowing the Father, our Heavenly Father. Here we see that God is one. We see that he is a who. The Father is a person, not some force or ideal, but one who has intellect, attitudes, goals, characteristics, a personality, creativity, passions, just to name a few things of the personhood of God the Father. We also see that he is impartial. That's what this show tells us, is that he is impartial, meaning that he doesn't take things at face value, but deeply understands them. And thankfully so, because he is the one who judges. It's by his standard that good and evil are distinguished. And he isn't far off from in some lofty tower, signing edicts and judgments and just rubber stamping things. He takes each individual's collection of deeds over their whole life and overlays his template of perfection upon them. It's made clear to us through God's standard and that overlaying and uh, what our heart's desire is. It, and his standard is not mysterious. Can anybody tell me what his standard is? Perfection. It's perfection found in the word of God. This is his standard. It's not mysterious. It's his word. A quick example. I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't a very good student growing up. I was often a disappointment to my teachers. My biggest problem was that I didn't do my homework. I was, I was smart. I was apt, but, but not obedient. Um, it wasn't because I was rebellious. It was, it was because I was lazy. <laughs> and I was, I was foolish. I was foolish. Um, it's a little personal, and, and, and please, please be gentle with me. Um, <laughs> I really did care for my teachers, and I, and I always hoped that I could, I could help show that through my chaste behavior, my uh, delightful disposition, um, you know, my, how I interacted with my friends and them. Well, not only that, but I also hoped that there would be one thing that would be very telling to them about my sincere respect for them. It'd be that moment after a test when they took out their key and overlaid it on my Scantron. Do they still do Scantrons? Probably not. But when they overlaid on the Scantron, though I had blanks in my record for homework, I often had the right bubbles filled out on my tests. And I hoped that they would recognize that I was listening to them and absorbing their material. I was following them. I still got C's and D's. <laughs> well, God judges his people in a very similar way. He has a key for each and every person overlays it on to their life's work. There will be a day when the summoner's summation will be made clear to each child of God. Every deed and attitude of the heart will be exposed, not for condemnation, that was taken care of on the cross, but for reward. God's word is the standard and Christ is the key. The child of God's alignment with Christ will result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. His perfect model will be overlaid and all that conforms to his image will be rewarded. 
With that said, we can now understand the expectation for the believer's temperament in the temporal. In, in uh, 17c, if you look back at your text, it says, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. The child of God is not like driftwood, bobbing around in the ocean, tossed to and fro by the, every wave. Instead, they have a distinguished calling to perform. Each child is individually called to appropriate action in the model of Christ Jesus. Fred mentioned in verse 13, a couple weeks ago, where it says that we are to prepare our minds for action, that this is a battle cry. Gird your loins, right? Believer, through scripture, the scales from our eyes can be removed and we can see that we are in a battle. The believer is not driftwood. You are alive in Christ. And the word conduct literally means about face. It's a military command. It means look upward. Reorient. Where before you were soggy driftwood, saturated in pleasures, headed to beach on the shores of hell, to be dried, burned, in unrelenting guilt, shame, and conviction, now the believer, you have been called to be a life-giving tree. To extend upward, to reach to the heavens of God and to see his face. That's a metamorphosis. You were a worm and now you're a butterfly. You have been reoriented, rearranged, figuratively, by the way. You're not a really butterfly. You're a believer, you're a child of God. You have been reoriented, rearranged. Your back was to God, and now your back is to the world. What the world offers is rags. What God offers is riches. You once were right to be terrified by God. What is, what is dark cannot stand before light. But believer, you are now made light. The fear of the Lord has come upon you and has performed its work. All that cannot stand before the brilliant holiness of God has been loosed from you. You are now holy as God is holy. He wouldn't, you have this ability because he has commanded you to be it. He would never say be holy as I am holy if you didn't have that ability. How do you have that ability? Because he gives it to you. You now live in the fear of the Lord. The terror, the fright, the panic that accompanies the souffle of fear attached itself to your sins and was nailed to the cross. And what remains is everything else that comes with fear. Alertness, reverence, respect of a father who has afforded to you entrance into his family forever. This time on earth is short when we consider forever. That leads us into our next point. Release children, release. Verse 18 reads, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your fathers. Another story, my, my son went to the army. In boot camp, he quickly real, uh, realized that his job was not to know. His sergeant said, your job is to do. <laughs> we'll do all the thinking for you. 
Right. Now, I may, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery, zoom over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. And if you're a believer, so are you. And he has given me and you, the believer, the tremendous privilege to, what is that first word? No, to know. Living in the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing. God has given us access and understanding through the Holy Spirit and his written word to know. Right here and right now, this is, this is marvelous. And though we know in part and prophesy in part when Christ comes, the in part will be done away with. We will know fully just as we are fully known. Look at this relationship that he has invited you into. We are so blessed in this lifetime to have and to hold God's word. And we should invest into knowing it. Psalm 119 explains that the word of the Lord is everlasting. It's, it's firmly fixed in the heavens. It's eternal. It stands firm in the heavens and will do so forever. You know those images of people in heaven on clouds with harps? That's completely wrong. The image should be of Bible studies because that's what we will be referring to for all eternity. This very book, we will, that what, is in, what God has revealed to us in this has no limit to its depth. By the way, if you're not in a Bible study, you should invest into being in a Bible study. We have so many of them here. Faith Builders this morning was out of control. Awesome. Thank you, Jeremy. Great prep, awesome delivery. God's word was represented well. <clears throat> you are in it, you find value. You find real value. You as a believer are valued beyond valuables. This is the good news that as a believer, you have value that exceeds what can be bartered. It exceeds the balance of scales. It exceeds the finest and purest riches a smelter can smelt. He who smelt it dealt it. <laughs> These things are garbage. These valuables are garbage in comparison to what you have. The vaults that stored these temporal things are your past prisons. Our value is no longer measured by how much money's in our bank. Do we own a home or how nice it is? Do we have a car or, or what kind? By scholastic achievement, by what job or position you have, by having a wife or a family, by so social status, how many friends you have, by your command over others. The list goes on and on and on. These, these ambitions that, we, that our flesh cries out, go get them. You're worthless unless you get them. Mm. These, are, now, these are not bad things, but if their measure is what is defining your values, then these vaults are still your prison. Your value cannot be stored in these vaults. Your value as a child of God is established by the price that you are bought with. You are not bought with things that moth can eat. Rust can corrupt or thieves can steal. You have been released 
from being measured by these things. Child of God, let the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace and release. See how immeasurably God will provide for you when you turn your eyes upon Jesus. Understand that you have an inheritance that height and depth and width cannot assess. Understand that you have an inheritance, my dear brothers and sisters. If with a handful of words, God made all that is seen and unseen, how much more can we expect from God our Father in an eternal relationship? He called us to look to him for our value. Matthew 6.33 says, maybe you want to say it with me, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Thanks, Randy. (laughs) Praise the Lord. His word is true. What what, What comes in, I'm going to quote Tozer again, what comes into mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. Verse 19a tells us how valuable you are to God. And that is determined by what you were redeemed with. Let's look at it. But the precious blood. But with precious blood. This priceless poor is what defines our value. What slid across the table was so much more than five and a half pounds of liquid. It would be the conduit of compassion from God the Father. The solvent to sin would free the prisoner. The freedom from fury of a just and righteous God. Angry God when it comes to sin. It was life that was handed over. Not an object that could be manufactured, reproduced, divided, counterfeited, or enshrined. Could moth devour it? No. Could rust corrupt it? No. Could thieves steal it? No. The life of the son of the living God slid across that table, holy and fully. He gave it all. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. How much he loves you and me. This divine purchasing power would be measured in what could only be known fully by the Father. He perfectly formulated and executed this plan of redemption for a people of his own. Remember the verse. A plan that was constructed before the foundation of the earth. A plan that was from eternity past and affects permanently eternity future. Though only he could know just how precious that payment was. He gave man a glimpse into its effectiveness and sufficiency and its plantedness in the foreshadowed foreshadowing of the Lord hallowed. In verse 19b it reads, look with me, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit, through Peter, is drawing the reader's attention to the rich history of Israel. God's chosen people, descendants of Abraham, a nation brought into existence by God's own choosing. One moment, there was no Hebrew. The next, there was. 
On account of God's choosing and blessing, Abraham became the father of all Hebrews. The Hebrews would become a great and powerful nation due to God's blessing and would find themselves in the center of the most powerful nation in the world at the time, Egypt. Not only was Egypt wealthy and powerful, but they were idolaters. God's chosen people would find themselves surrounded in a world of darkness, forgetting that it was God's provisions that gave them their prominence in with the Egyptians They became enslaved by the Egyptians. God's people found themselves mastered by darkness, controlled by darkness, abused by darkness, practicing darkness, and destitute in their own darkness. Enter Moses, a savior who God used to strike at Egypt's idols and isolate his people, causing them to be distinguished, set apart, Through Moses, God put on display his sovereignty over his creation, his creation, showcasing to his chosen people his supremacy. He challenged the false gods that the people had exalted, and he reserved the greatest for last, the house of Pharaoh. It was in this last display of God's sovereignty that Peter refers to, and it serves as a foreshadowing of the work of Christ. And what would be accomplished on that cross? It would be such a salvific declaration that the Hebrews would reset their calendar using this moment as the new year. Each Hebrew was to go to his father's house and receive a lamb. They were to take that lamb into their home for 14 days. The lamb was required to be unblemished and male. At At twilight, the lamb was to be slaughtered without breaking its bones The lamb's blood would be spread on the doorpost and the lintel. The lamb was to be roasted by fire and eaten with unleavened bread and bitter herbs and consumed fully by the people. Any leftover would have to be burned completely after. No leftovers. The lamb was to be one, one year old, because success was certain. And this would commemorate year after year with an emphasis on new life with the death the people were to eat with garments belted around their waist, sandals on their feet, and staff in hand. That night, the Lord would pass over the land, and all for the firstborn of both man and animal would die. That is, unless the entrance of their home was covered by the blood of the lamb. This is what God used as a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, and his work on the cross. Let's connect those dots. The reset of the calendar for the new year, let's refer to Psalm 118, 22, 24. It says, a stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. A new day, a new year for the Israelites, a new day for the saint. Next, a sacrifice coming from the Father's house. John 3.16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Father giving his son, the lamb of God. Next, a lamb in the home, John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us 
And we saw his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He was with us. He dwelled with us. Next, the unblemished male, Luke 135. The angel answered and said to her, this is to Mary. Gabriel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. For that reason also, the holy child will be called the son of God, the holy son, the unblemished male. Next, the twilight slaughtering, Matthew 27, 45 and 50. Now from the sixth hour, Christ is on the cross. From the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Next, the blood on the doorpost and lintel, Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross, the doorpost and the lintel. This is masterful. This is a masterpiece. Next, the consumption of the lamb, Luke 22, 19. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is being given for you. Do in remembrance of me. Communion, communion in the lamb, sacrifice. Next, no leftovers and no broken bones. John 19, 31 through 32. Now then, since it was the day of preparation to prevent the bodies from remaining on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews requested of Pilate that their legs be broken. Those are the three men on the cross and the bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him, Jesus. But after they came to Jesus, when they saw he was already dead, they did not break his legs. <laughs> it's amazing. Next, the one year old slain a newborn lamb for, for the one year tradition. Romans 14, 9, for to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of dead and living. The, prep, the preparedness of clothing of the Hebrews, Ephesians 2, 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in, his, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There's so much, this, 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 does, this doesn't end. That was just the, 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 that was just the lamb. We, we didn't even talk about the unleavened bread. We didn't talk about the traditions that followed after that, that God mandated, that, that spelled out the story so that we would see, based on the writings of those who came before us, <laughs> that Jesus is the Messiah. How undeniable is it that God the Father had a plan? He deemed it perfect and executed it perfectly. His promises are true. Which leads me to our next point. Expected children expect. Verse 20, uh, part A reads, look look with me. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Jesus, unlike any man to walk this earth, existed before arriving. Why is Peter telling us this? He's informing us about Christ in this way to let us know that Christ is the eternal Emmanuel, eternal, no beginning and no end. Emmanuel, God with us. There are four main characteristics of God. He's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's everywhere at once, and he's immutable 
or otherwise said he never changes. God is non-reactive. Nothing takes him by surprise, and he doesn't qualify his decisions based on the opinions of man. As the creator of time, space, and material, he is sovereign over all of them. He sees past, present, and future as a single vision. And because of these truths of God, we can not only marvel as we observe how his plan has worked out, but also we can rest assured that his plan will continually be worked out. What that means is that his promises are true. You can depend on them. What that means is that if you, have, if, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each, according to his works, excuse me, lost my place. You'll understand that every detail, every intricacy, every nuance of life has been ordered by God. God decided when you were born. He decided when, who you were born to. He decided where you were born. He decided, he, he actually knows when you'll die. He knows all the details from birth to life. He is in charge of all of these things. Why is that comforting? Well, let, let's look at uh, 20B, the second part. But has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. It's comforting because what we see here is that he cares for you. He cares for all of his children. God knows you and he knows me. He knew that I needed Christ to appear. Christ was made clear to make clear his love for you and me. It was for our sake that he appeared. What an amazing testimony of of how he cares. It's because of Christ's appearance that the barrier that separated Jew and Gentile was broken that the two can now become one. Before Christ crucified, we, cons- we were considered outsiders. Now, we're brought in. We're brought into a united fellowship with the, the Israelites, his chosen people, to be the family and kingdom of God. This was all part of God's sovereign plan. The fact that God doesn't change is so reassuring because it tells us that he's not going to change his mind about saving us. I don't know about you, but there are times when I'm completely unlovable. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> it's true. I can be so selfish, so disrespectful to God and my fellow man. Some of the thoughts I, I think would never be acceptable before a holy and righteous God. I know that I'm a sinner. and I'm reminded every day. I hope you can say the same thing with me. Thank God that his plan isn't dependent on my doing. Praise God that he designed in plan for his children a response of submission at the appearance of Christ and that these are the last times. Look at verse 21. It says, who through him are believers in God. We are privileged to be able to rely on On the reliable. How great is our God that we have received the message about Christ from the Christ. He walked and talked, he sat and ate, he slept and wept. He who is the ancient of days became flesh, 
John 1, 3, 5 says, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not grasp it. Let me ask you something. How can, it, how can the dead understand the living? To date, not a single corpse has said thanks for the flowers. I don't mean to be rude or sacrilegious. How can darkness tolerate light? A shadow has never bragged about its suntan. How can a lame man jump up and walk? How can a blind man suddenly see? The answer to all of these is that they can't. If you're a child of God, you did not choose him. He chose you. You were dead in your trespasses and through him, you were brought to life. You were darkness and through him, you were made light. You were an idolater and your thinking was futile. And through him, you were caused to believe. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Faith was brought to you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. Why is all this helpful to know? Because Jesus says in John 4, 35, behold, I tell you, raise your eyes and observe the fields for they are white with harvest. You'll get where I'm going here. As a believer, one who has been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, the spirit of Christ lives in you. He lives in you. Speak his words into the darkness and watch how the harvest is gathered. If you think you don't have what it takes to witness, it's likely because you're trying too hard. This is not an act of the flesh or a will of man. It's a divine work. Let God do the work. Commit to scripture, to memory. Commit to memory, scripture. Did I say that right? Pray to God for an opportunity to use it. God's called you to be confident in your faith and reliant on his word. Let's look at the next part of verse 21. Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. This is awesome. Believer, recognize how amazing this text is. Verse 20 to this statement in verse 21 reaches beyond time into, into the eternal construct where, where and when there was nothing except for God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and brings us all the way to creation to the success of what God promised to himself to provide a glorified, risen Savior. And look, look in the middle. Who's there in the middle of all that? You. It says it. It says it in there. You. For your sake. What a masterpiece. You are an integral part to his amazing plan. You should have every confidence in God. He has every, he has, he has blessed you with every good gift from heaven. 
He loves you. And you should have every confidence that his word will do its work. How do we have that confidence? Why why do we have that confidence? It's the empty tomb. (laughs) He's risen. He beat it. He won. He defeated death. It's the resurrection that gives us confidence. Listen to Philippians 2, 8 through 11. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him. He, God, in, in recognition of the obedience, the sinlessness of Christ, he qualified, he did what it took to come out of that grave and be exalted as our Lord, our Savior, and, to rest, and that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In his perfect submission to the Father, God raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Having no sin or death, he, no, having no sin, death could not hold him. He's the promised Messiah. All that was prophesied was true. And we have a promise from the promise keeper. We have a promise from the promised one. As, God expected, as God's expected children, we need to expect that God's word will not return void. There's so many expected children to be brought to life. Be generous with the gospel. Expect that God's word will ring true in the ears of the sheep of his pasture. His sheep will know his voice, just like Bill knows his wife's voice from a crowd. The sheep know, his sheep know his voice. And this brings us to the last part of the passage. Look at uh, verse 21. So that your faith and hope are in God. I don't know who said it, but I heard this week that the body and soul are so closely connected that they can infect one another. As believers, our soul is redeemed. It's certain that, so certain that Ephesians 2, 4, 7 refers to God having raised up with him, having us raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is said, not in the future tense, but in the present tense. The Holy Spirit wants you and I to know that God has saved our souls and that we are permanent citizens of heaven, the kingdom of God and his family. Though we, have been a, though we have been given a new spirit, we still contend with the flesh. On this side of heaven's gate, we're being sanctified. That means being made holy or, or being purified. Uh, uh, there's a pastor I listen to, Greg Laurie. Uh, so he says, the here and now Christian will not be sinless, but will sin less and less and less. That process will continue until we see Christ face to face when sin will be no more. I can't wait for that day. I hate my sin. (laughs) I hate sin. I love to see God honored and glorified. But that's the Holy Spirit inside of me saying that. I would never have said that as as a stupid little kid. Not that, sorry. Kids, I love you. You know I do. This is a battle we, we, we have as believers living in corrupted flesh. 
It's only for a short while. Proverbs 3, 5 through 10 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with, the pl- with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. As we fill our storehouse with God's word and rely on it, we are called to share it. Rely on Christ's word. Pray and allow him through his Holy Spirit to do the work of convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Don't take it personally if someone rejects the call to believe. Call them to believe. Don't ask them, will you believe? No, call them. You don't ever see that written in the Bible. No, pre- no prophet ever said, will you please believe for me? No, the sheep will hear his voice. You call to repent and come on, Nineveh, let's do this, right? If they reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. Pray for them. Don't be dismayed if you are persecuted because you shared your faith. They aren't persecuting you. They're persecuting God. Rejoice in your participation in God's word. You know, remember Paul's experience when he was Saul. Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? And look at what God did with Saul. Rejoice in your participation in God's work and pray for them. Recall what Peter says in verse 6 through 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In conclusion, first, if you're a child of God, you are already an obedient child. You were a child of disobedience upon birth. I just say it, Mr. Ransom, your child's a child of disobedience and needs you to preach the word to him. And I know you will. Continue to be obedient and remember that you are in a war that has already been won. There are battles remaining. Claim every victory for God's glory and recognize that time is short. Second, You as a child of God have been released. So release your grasp on what you formerly used to measure your worth. Your freedom has been purchased at the highest value through the blood of God's own son. Having been purchased by the precious, pure, and holy blood of God the Father's son, you are regarded by God as the precious, pure, pure, and holy Lastly, God the Father planned for your place at his table from before the foundations of the world. You were an expected child of God and he doesn't change his mind. So expect that you are secure, that his promises are true and as you depend on him, you will continue to be transformed in the image of his son. Be that life-giving tree. You are not driftwood. Participate in Christ's mission to share the gospel 
and bring new life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a glorious thing to, to be named among your saints, to be brought into the family of God, to be a royal priesthood, a chosen race. Lord, we just ask you, Lord, to take those scales off of our eyes where we, where we need to, where we're, where we're hung up by the things of this earth and we're fearful of, the, of, of what we might lose here on earth. Instead of fixing our eyes on you and, and, and giving you the glory, honor, and praise through our every action, Lord, dispel that from us. Loose us from that. Give us a clear vision. Lord, we, we, we just thank you for your word. We ask you for it to convict us. We, we thank you for what it will do as we uh, declare it to the, to the dark world, as we seek those who are destined to find you as their heavenly father. We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray.